And I want to talk about distractions. And I want to talk about some of the ways that we get distracted in our lives and get distracted away from God and maybe compromise and settle in places and with things that God never intended us to, but we end up in those places. I looked at a dictionary definition of distractions. A distraction is something that turns your attention away from something you want to concentrate on. And I would add in a little caveat, not just that you want to concentrate on, but that you should or you need to concentrate on. Because when I was at school, I never wanted to concentrate. I never wanted to work hard. I should have done. I didn't. My exams and the fact that I got kicked out of school probably represented that very, very clearly. But I think there are different things in our lives that can distract us and that can cause us to compromise particularly when it comes to our relationship with God. And I want to look at a passage from Scripture, and it is looking at a guy that we don't really talk about very much. We know quite a lot about his son, but him we don't really talk about. And this is terror. And we find terror in the Old Testament. And there's a little snapshot of his life in Genesis chapter 11. Now, terror is Abraham's father. So you might have heard of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And Abraham and his wife Sarah, or Abram and Sarai, as they were called, before God changed their names. These were two people that God said, I'm going to use you to do something incredibly significant in our world today. He had a great prophecy, that he, a word he placed upon them. But Abraham's father was terror. Now, we're not sure whether Terah was, in fact, a believer. doesn't quite make it that clear in Scripture. But I want to read a, a snapshot of his life and look at a decision that he made to do something and what happened when he did it. So if you've got a Bible, uh, join with me in uh, Genesis chapter 11, starting at verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, who was Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. So we have this family unit, we have Terah, and he has this idea. He's like, I'm going to move my family from here to here. And you think about it, and you think, okay, that's fine. Surely that's not too difficult. They're living in Ur, and they want to move to Canaan. But then you begin to realize that actually this isn't a simple and straightforward journey. Ur of the Chaldeans is where southern Iraq is today, just to put that into context. So this place that they're in is Ur, and he wants to move them to Canaan. Now that is approximately a thousand miles in distance. So this isn't just a merry little trip up the road. 
this is a huge undertaking. He has this moment, this decision. We are moving. We are here. We are going to move to here. And so he uproots his family. Now, this trip is an incredibly difficult one because they don't have cars. They don't have removal lorries. They don't have someone who's going to come and pack up all of their stuff. They have to do it together. And there's another passage in Scripture that tells us that he was an incredibly wealthy man. And because he was an incredibly wealthy man, he would have had a lot of possessions. He would have had a lot of livestock as well. So what he's trying to do is to take his family and all of his livestock on this journey. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to go on a hike with cows or with chickens. It's not the easiest of company. Uh, They tend to have a little mind of their own. They go off here, there, and everywhere. And so he would have had to have gone gone at the pace of the slowest member of the party which would probably have been, I don't know, chickens, something like that. So for us to travel a 1,000 miles, if we were to do it in a car today on the motorway at 70 miles an hour, it would take us 14 hours and 17 minutes approximately, unless there were hold-ups, traffic jams, everything else. That's how long it would take us. And you think, that's quite a trip. But for terror with his family, with his chickens, with his livestock, with everything else. It would have taken them six months to a year. Because on a really, really good day, if all the animals followed in two by two behind him, and it was all fantastic, they would have only been able to go four to five miles a day. This is a huge, huge undertaking. You're thinking, oh my life, why are you deciding to do this? It was what was on his heart. It was what he wanted to do. We are moving from here to here. But the passage tells us that they didn't make it to Canaan, but that they got to a place called Haran, 400 miles short of it, and they settled there. Now, I don't know whether they intended to settle. I don't know whether they got to Haran and they said, I have had enough can't do it anymore, we are staying here. Or whether they said, okay, let's just take a little bit of respite, let's take a step back, let's take the pressure off, we'll just stay here for a bit. And I don't know whether they did that for a few days, and that turned into a few more days, or that turned into a few more weeks, and then they were there. They were settled in that place. I don't know whether it was a decision or whether it just gradually morphed into them being there. What I do know is that they were familiar with that place. Terah was born there. Terah grew up there for a bit of his life. So he was going back to a familiar place. Would have been easy for him. He would have known people. He would have known the place. Very comfortable. Here's the choice. Do you stay somewhere comfortable? Somewhere that is known? Where you know everybody else? Or for them, do you think, do we carry on? We're going to Canaan. It's difficult. And so there was the choice for them. Do we settle for what is easy, for what is comfortable, for what everyone else is doing around us? Or do we say, okay, actually, no. We're not going to settle. The plan was to go to Canaan. And it may be tough. It may be difficult. The chickens may be misbehaving. But we are going to keep on going. Because this is what we know is right for us to do. And I think for us and for me as I think about what happened to Terra, I think there's a real challenge. I think 
I have a propensity to want to take the easy life and the easy option. I said this morning, I'm so used to sitting on this stage in one of those comfy chairs, just sitting back with a cup of tea. Nobody else is in the room. It's fantastic. I just have to speak to a camera. For me, that is far easier than being stood here in front of you lot, not being able to sit on my chair and have my cup of tea. The easy option is for me just to sit back. I like the easy option. Many of us do. It's comfortable. And I think in many areas of our lives, we settle for what is comfortable, for what is easy, for what is going on around us in the culture and in the lives of those that we surround ourselves with, whether that's our family, whether that's our friends. And that will be an incredible challenge for our young people at school, in their friendship networks, for those going off to university, for those that are staying here. It's a tremendous challenge for the rest of us that are still young, that actually we don't just settle, we don't just morph into the culture around us, but actually we begin to identify, who am I? What has God put me on this planet to do? Because we are unique individuals, different abilities, different temperaments. There is something that God has created each one of us to do. His plan to save and to change the world is diminished if we sit back in the comfortable and we don't say, God, I want your best for my life. God, I want to be the best version of me. I want you to bless me, but I want to be a blessing. And there are things that God is asking us to do. And there is the challenge for us. Am I going to settle? Am I going to morph into what is going on in the culture around me? Or am I going to say, God, yes. Actually, I'm up for it. At times, it may be difficult. At times, I may feel like I'm herding chickens along the road. But actually, your call, your plans, your purposes for me are the best. Not always easy, but they are the best. This American preacher who was reflecting on terror and upon this whole journey. He said, when one begins the journey of following Christ, the goal is always the promised land. But most of us settle in harem. We fatigue from the journey. We grow old, disillusioned with the long, harsh journey. We set up more comforts for ourselves. Not sure how far away this promised land is. We grow comfortable short of Canaan, satisfied with Haran. And then we die, never seeing the land God promised. Because somewhere along the way, we lost heart for the journey, took our eyes off the prize, or settled for less faith in the one who leads. We don't lose faith, but we settled for less. After all, we left Ur, got as far as Haran, just didn't make it to Canaan. For Terah and for his family, they could have said, you know what, we've done something great. We have traveled 600 miles. We have got to this place. Let's pat ourselves on the back. We have done really, really well. But they hadn't accomplished everything that they set out to. And I think the road sometimes can be long and difficult. But I want to encourage us today to maybe reflect on where am I? What is going on in my life? Have I settled? 
Or do I have God at the very heart of my life? Am I following him? Am I following his plans and his purpose for my life? Or have somehow I just got lost or sidetracked or taken in by everything else around me? You know, we wouldn't be the first people to get lost and sidetracked. If you look at other people in the Bible, Adam and Eve, the first human beings, they most certainly got lost and sidetracked. God gave them so much. And yet they chose to go their own way and gave in to temptation. Abraham and Sarah, God promised them, you don't yet have a child, but you will have a child. And what did they do? They got bored of waiting, and so they went out and tried to sort it all themselves. That didn't go so well. They molded into what was going on in the culture around them, rather than saying, God, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to trust you and your promises, and I know that you will come through for me. The Israelites are in captivity. They are crying out to God, God, would you come and save us and set us free? And God does. God sends Moses, and Moses comes, and in the power of God, he performs all these miracles. Can you imagine seeing the plagues and everything that went on? And not only that, Moses leads them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted. What a miracle. The Israelites go through it. Fantastic. Praise you, God. And then very quickly, they see what is going on in the neighboring areas, and they think, oh, we'd like a bit of that. Why don't we worship their God? Why don't we have an altar to them? And they start moaning and groaning, groaning and compromising and settling. Do we really want to make it to the promised land? Oh, I don't know. This is all right. We're going to worship these gods. They lost sight of their calling. Or Peter. I love Peter, the disciple. Peter, yes, Lord, I'm never going to let you down. Yes, Lord, I'm there 100% for you. And then push comes to shove, and what does he do? He blends in with everybody else. No, I don't know Jesus. No, nothing to do with me. No, I'm not one of his followers. And those situations are ones that we can look at and think, actually, yeah, there have been times when I've blended in. There have been times when I've done the wrong thing. I've made wrong choices. I have just settled. When we settle, we miss out on so much of life that God has for us. God wants a life of freedom. God wants a life where we know why we're here. We know what we're doing. And then even though at times it may be tough, but like, but God is with me. There is a purpose behind this. God is using me. And when we settle, we don't experience that freedom in all its fullness. We don't experience life in all its fullness. We're kind of caged and confined been reading a book by uh, Gavin and Anne Calver. Gavin is head of the Evangelical Alliance. His wife, Anne, is a Baptist minister. And they've written a book called Unleashed. And it looks at the book of Acts in the Bible. And the book of Acts in the Bible is one of my favorite because time and time again, you see people coming to know Jesus for themselves and having their lives transformed. And you have this community that shared everything together, that did everything together. Just brilliant. I love it. And uh, in this book, they talk about watching uh, a series. I think it was on Netflix, and it's called Blackfish, and it's on killer whales. Has anybody seen this series, Blackfish on killer whales? Oh, Felicity, fantastic. Bless you, my Is it good? It's not easy to watch. Okay. Well, in it, 
Uh, they do this comparison between killer whales out in the wild and what life is like for them, and then what life is like when they are brought into captivity. So, you know, you can go to um, SeaWorld and other places like that where you see them like jumping around and doing tricks. So it does this comparison between this is life when they're free and this is life when they are in captivity. And this is what they say. Whales normally swim hundreds of miles a day, and yet they are taken out of the open water and put into small tanks that seriously limit their movement. In the wild, they were living up to 75 years, and in captivity, their lifespan is a maximum of 35 years. When the whales were free, their fins were pointing up, and they were healthy and liberated. In captivity, their fins were bent over and their temperament affected. Having been peaceful creatures, they were becoming violent with one another and with human trainers. One of the whales had ended up attacking and killing a trainer. In the wild, there is no record of a killer whale attacking a human ever. And you begin to see these comparisons between what it's like for whales when they are free and what it is like when they're limited. And they likened it to us as a human race, and in particular to Christians. This is Gavin and Anne Calver, not the documentary. And they said this, what struck us most was that these mammals were living in an environment that was killing them robbing them of life and causing their behavior to change. We are not called to live in captivity. We are designed for freedom. What is our culture molding us into? Is our culture forcing us into cages of fear and confined spaces of busyness, sucking us of life in all its fullness? Our creator designed us to soar to experience life in all its fullness, to be filled with living water because the author of life has poured it into us. We do not want to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the power of God and his spirit breathing life into us so we can demonstrate a new way to truly live. God wants us to be free. We want to be free. We want to live life in all its fullness. That is the invitation of God to each one of us. To know him, to be forgiven and set free from the past, to start again. And in the embrace of his love, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in his ways, to know him with us, and to be released to be the people that we are. But all too often we limit that. We limit it by settling for the culture around us, settling for second best, settling and giving in to distractions. And I want to finish by asking us two questions, and I'll unpack them very, very uh, slightly as I ask them. But these two questions for us to reflect on, and this is for me too. I do not have this uh, sorted and am some perfect Christian, not that you would ever think that of me. 
But this is something that we need to be reflecting on and inviting God to speak to us on. So my two questions for us are this. Number one, what are the things that we want to be doing or are aiming for with our lives? Who are we? Who has God created us to be? What are those things that he is wanting us to do? Second question, what are some of the things that cause us to settle or to get distracted? Let's just unpack that for a moment. First question, what are some of the things that we want to be doing or are aiming for with our lives? I just thought of a whole list of random things that may or may not apply to uh, some or any of us here. There may be something else that God has laid upon your heart. I always think for me the first thing that I want to do that I don't always do so well is to reflect him daily in my life. And does that change with the people around me? Does that change because of the, the places that I find myself in? Or am I somebody that reflects Jesus in the things that I say, the things that I do, the jokes that I tell, the things that I laugh at, the things that I watch. Part of me is yes, my desire, my life in a sense, God, I want to reflect you in all that I do. Sometimes there are things that I think God wants to work on in our lives that perhaps we lay dormant or we think that's too difficult and we settle. That might be forgiving someone. That might be working through something in the past. And God says, this is something that I want to set you free from. I don't want you to feel as though you have to just sit with this baggage. But I want to set you free. Maybe the thing that we want to do with our lives is to seek him daily. To pray and to read our Bibles. Maybe we've become distracted from that. Maybe we've turned to our phone or to other things in the place or spending time with God. Maybe it's to do with our money. Maybe there's this sense that there's somewhere that God wants us to go. There's something that he wants us to do. Maybe it's to get involved here at church. Maybe God is asking us to cut off from some unhelpful people around us. I don't know. Maybe it's what we want to do with our lives is to pray for more people to partner with them in changing the world, to care for someone, to spend time with them. I don't know. It will be different things for each ones of us. What are those things that we want our lives to include? How do we want God to use us? Many of you will know that last week I shared with the church that uh, in July next year I am leaving and I had a conversation with my mum during the week, and she's like, oh, how's that all gone? How are you feeling about it all? And I said, oh, there's so many different emotions that are going on. And she said to me, um, do you remember when you left your first church? So before I came here, I went to a really wonderful little church called Park Street Baptist Church. And uh, they had this uh, sending out service for me before I came here. And... Um, there was a lady there who had a picture for me that I had completely forgotten about. And mum was like, do you remember that picture that Sylvie Bonfield had for you? And I'm like, oh, my life. And uh, God had given her a picture, a really specific picture for me that was to do with my gifts and my ministry and what God was going to do through me. 
And she said to me, this is my mum, she said, I think you've done wonderfully well to serve God for 24 years at Sutton Baptist. But she said, I don't think that this word or this prophecy has been fulfilled in its entirety yet. Hold on to that and go for that and pray that in. And I thought, yes, I had completely forgotten about this word and this picture. And so this week I've been like, God, yes, thank you that you've brought that back to my mind. Yes, that is what my heart wants. My heart wants to serve you. My heart wants to see thousands of people become Christians. Use me. And maybe there's something that has been spoken over your life before. Maybe a baptism, maybe a dedication. Maybe someone has handed you a word or there's a word of scripture that you have claimed for yourself and felt God has said this to me but we've forgotten about it. And maybe tonight God is re-bringing that back into your mind saying this is still you. This is still true for you today. Take my word and run with it. So what are the things that we want to be doing with our lives? Second question, what are some of the things that cause us to settle or to get distracted? I think one of the main things is fear. Fear that we're not good enough fear of what other people will think of us. I shared this morning, again in the same uh, conversation with my mum, I was saying, it just sounds so surreal talking about what I'm going to be doing. If it was anybody else talking about it, I'd think, yes, great, fantastic, go for it, you can do it. And I think, but it's me. What on earth am I doing? How on earth am I going to be able to do this? Just those doubts creep in, those fears. You know, it could be really easy for me to stay here because I love this church. I've been here 24 years. I know it like the back of my hand. You guys are wonderful and I love being part of it. For me, the easy thing would be to settle, to say, okay, I'm just going to stay here. could stay here for another however many years until I retire. Wouldn't that be nice? But I don't want to settle. I want God's best for my life. I don't want to be scared of what others think of me. I don't want to be scared that I'm not good enough. I want to hear from God. I want to know that he loves me. I want to know that actually there is life in the old dog left. That I've got two more years until I'm 50. And then, hey, it's retirement and whatever else is to come. But in however long I've got, there is this sense, God, I want to go for it. I don't want to be held back by anything. I haven't got a clue what my future is going to look like. There is a blank page. I do not know, but God knows. I don't want to settle. Don't let fear be the thing that makes you settle. Bereavement sometimes, I think, is incredibly painful and difficult and is one of those things that I think people really, really rightly struggle with. Terror in the story, his son died in his lifetime. And it reminded me of my, uh, my mum and dad. Many of you know that my brother died 10 years ago. And I will never, ever forget the uh, interment of his ashes. So you have his ashes in a pot, you put them into the ground, and a vicar says some words over them. That's layman's terms for it. And I remember my dad wanted to pour the ashes into the, into the plot. And I was standing next to my mum as my dad was pouring it, and my mum just walked off. So I thought, right, I'm going to go after my mum. This is not a good moment. I went and found my mum, and she's in tears. I wrap my arms around her, and she says, 
I never gave birth to him to see him put into the ground like that. And the tears and the pain. Uh, and my parents, as you would imagine, have been through so much. And yet I am so proud of my parents because actually the death of my brother has been horrific and will always be painful for them. But they have not let that define them. And in fact, they've gone on to be a blessing to so many other people, other people that have lost children. And just in other areas in church life, they've surrendered themselves to God and said, God, we don't want this to be the end. Actually, use this horrendous experience to help us to be a blessing to others. And they have been, and I'm incredibly proud of them. And I think whatever the difficulties we have been through or are going through in life, they don't have to define us. Because we have a God who loves us, who takes us where we're at, who gently and compassionately and beautifully cares for us and holds us and pieces us back together and then says, hold my hand. We're doing this together. Walk with me in my ways. And that is incredible that God is able to do that. There's a whole host of other things that might be the things that cause us to settle or to get distracted. It might be tiredness. It might be that we're sucked into our culture. It might be that we've taken on too much. Influence of family or friends. It might be that we've made deliberate choices to do things that we know actually aren't God's best for us. We've all done that at different times in our lives. And God continues to say to us, I love you. Come back to me. Bring it back to me and know my love and my forgiveness. Let's go again. Let's start again. Maybe we've had the wrong priorities. Maybe we've been lazy. Maybe we've not had a really good support structure around us. It may be disappointment. It may be a whole host of different things. I don't know. But you know and I know and God knows. I'd like to invite our wonderful, loving, heavenly Father to maybe reveal to us areas that we've settled in or maybe reaffirm to us that actually there is a plan, there is a purpose for our lives, that he loves us and that he can and he wants to use us.